Welcome to the Parent Toolbox podcast from the Inventive Minds Child, Youth, and Family Center. We are a not-for-profit organization helping families with day-to-day parenting ups and downs from expectancy to teen. We're really excited tonight. We have Dr. Rob Raponi. He is a naturopathic doctor. I know him very well. I know his knowledge and his passion. So we're really excited to bring him on tonight to discuss hormones, adolescents and teens, puberty, what to expect, what not to expect, especially in times with COVID these days and just in general, going from a child to preteen to adolescence to being a full-on teenager it's such a huge transition and so much of it i know is due to the hormonal shift inside your body we're really excited to have rob today to lay it out all out for us tonight and let us know what we should be expecting uh lisa actually if you want to introduce yourself to rob too yeah my name is lisa i have two children i have 11 almost 12 year old girl and i have a 15 almost 16 year old boy Awesome. Great ages. That's great. If any questions come up throughout, it's pretty intimate setting. So please ask away. I'll probably just keep powering through. I get passionate about health topics, so I'll talk a lot. So stop me, either of you. Let me know if something comes up and I'm happy to elaborate, um, dig further into it, whatever you need. So a little background about myself first and just clear up the air about naturopathic medicine, who I am, what it is. A lot of people don't always know too much about naturopathic medicine. Schooling was quite extensive as it is for naturopathic medicine. It's very similar to a med school type path where I did my undergrad at York University, kinesiology, four years there. And then after that, I got accepted into the naturopathic medicine program, which is another four years of quite intense schooling. Non-clinical, three theoretical years with a lot of practical experience. And the fourth year is kind of like a residency where you just treat people under supervision. You do a full 12-month rotation on just seeing as many people, helping everybody that you can. You can choose to apply to focus shifts. We're not allowed to call anything a specialty. It's a protected word. Focus shifts, I got accepted into both the oncology and sports medicine courses or additional training. I chose to accept the sports medicine side of things because My big background has always been exercise, not so much for athletes. I don't work too much directly with any like professional high-level athletes, but I love working day-to-day with just people, people that want to better their lives that may have been hindered by injury and are trying to recover because exercise is such an important thing. So it's not so much about making people track stars or anything like that. It's just getting them to a point where they're healthy and pain-free enough to return to exercising because that plays a big role in their overall health. So that's how I've kind of implemented that into the practice. I've worked with a lot of young athletes, so teenagers. What naturopathic medicine is, is deeper approach to getting to know the person that's sitting down in front of me and trying to fix things from the inside out. It's like a root cause fix usually spend a lot more time with each person to get to the bottom of whatever it is that's going on. And from not just a superficial level, but again, getting to that depth and finding out, just taking that whole person into account. I'm not against medical doctors in any way. I say this to every single person that walks in my door. I don't even like the word alternative medicine because it makes it seem like you have to pick a team and a side and it's one or the other. I think it should be more known as complementary where it's just that teamwork approach where I work along with medical doctors, physiotherapists, chirals. The point is that it's about the person sitting down and getting them better at the best way possible. 
and not fighting other healthcare practitioners. I don't like when that happens. I can requisition blood work. Advantage is we can do testing that would be to optimize things. So if it's hormones, like in this talk, it doesn't have to be crazy out of whack before it's allowed to be requisitioned. That's not medical doctor's fault. The advantage with naturopathic medicine being private is if you don't feel your best and the lab results aren't showing, we can dig deeper because we can test whatever we need to to find what's going on, if it's appropriate. I don't like making people spend hundreds of dollars on tests for no reason. Trained to find stuff out without testing as well, but it's a great tool to have. Energy medicine, like homeopathy, gets mixed up with naturopathic medicine. That's not really my thing. I like to, anything that I do, whether it's testing, supplements, diet, lifestyle, it's all coming from an evidence-based background. So everything has to have scientific research to support it, and it has to be effective, but also safe. I make sure it doesn't interact with anything you're currently taking or might take in the future. And again, it's really that team approach. I don't, I'm not trying to go against anything you might already be doing. And let's get into the hormones. Teenagers, lots of hormones changing, a lot of things happening. It's a fun time for parents, fun time for teens, but they don't know it till a little bit later. I want to start by bringing up something called the hormone cascade. It's not something everyone's familiar with. Jill, I think we've talked about this in the past. This is a very basic example of the hormone cascade. So I wanna explain it briefly just to get an image going of what happens with hormones and how things can change with different factors. We have cholesterol. Cholesterol is, plays a pretty critical role in our health every day because it turns into all our hormones. We had no cholesterol we wouldn't have hormones. And I don't even know if we'd be a human being without hormones. So cholesterol starts it all. We need it. From cholesterol, it can be turned into progenenolone. So this is referred to as the mother of all hormones. Cholesterol is a fat. Progenenolone is the first hormone, and it can turn into most of the hormones the body produces. It is quite an important hormone. What happens here, testosterone, estradiol, estrone, those are the estrogens, the predominant ones that do a lot of things in the body, especially for women going through puberty, young women. DHEA and DHES is another big hormone. It's more of a stress-related one. It can an important one to measure, but it's not one I really want to get into today. What I really want to focus on is how this pathway is supposed to go cortisol. So cortisol is the stress hormone. What's important about this in a normal, healthy, functioning, anyone, adult, teenager, child, Everything wants to flow and you have proper balance, proper levels. Stress can play such a big role. And I want to stress the importance of stress here just because of everything. Like we're in a pandemic. Everyone's on edge. There's anxiety. All of that is stress. And whenever we're feeling anything like that, cortisol gets produced. What happens with this pathway is it gets not completely shut off, but put on the back burner and everything gets shunted down to cortisol. So when we're constantly stressed and we live in a very stressful environment, this pathway gets blocked. We don't have proper balance. It can lead to all kinds of madness, weight gain in places that we didn't want it. Shifts from gaining more weight around the hips to the abdomen. It can lead to more acne production because maybe testosterone skyrockets. All these things that would happen in a teenager, but now cortisol is thrown in as this big factor that we don't give enough credit to. It's going to play a bigger role. I'm going to talk more about cortisol, what we can do, because it does definitely can impact anybody, not just youth, teenagers. But when stuff gets shunted to cortisol, that balance gets thrown off. 
the little things add up. You don't realize that just driving is stressful because you're in a high risk environment. This is why we get so angry if someone cuts us off because we're already in that fight and flight mode. We've just kind of normalized it. So we're used to feeling a certain level of stress that shouldn't be there. It should only be there in life and death situations and briefly, and it should go away. But we've created this environment where this cortisol pathway is always on. Personally, every time my phone buzzes, I feel that shot of adrenaline and just stress and having to get to it and check the emails, check the texts. This constant connection is another low-level stress that's constantly there that doesn't go away. Compound that with COVID, with financial stress, with whatever else it is, friends, bullying that happened at school. And this pathway never takes a break. From what I see when people finally come to me is later 20s, 30s, 40s, where it's added up and they're just chronically tired. They're having acne as an adult, not just as a teenager. They thought they'd gotten past that. It affects digestion. When cortisol is being produced all the time, because it's that fight or flight hormone, we put only blood to our muscles so that we could run away. But things like digestion and reproductive health are just shut down. So all of that drops. So I like to have that visual because it really helps visualize that whole pathway and what can happen. I like it as compounding factor to all the changes that are already going on. So with a teenager going through puberty, hormones are skyrocketing to all kinds of different levels. You compound that with stress, things already feel like the end of the world. And that's just part of that development. The hormones, the brain, they're all still trying to adapt. The brain hasn't fully developed to a point where rational decision-making young adults mind. You don't fully develop that whole risk assessment until mid to later 20s. It takes some time and we're considering 18-year-olds adults and we wonder why they make poor decisions. It's a very tricky thing. It's not their fault. It's just part of how we develop and the brain is just this constantly evolving organ quite fascinating, but it does lead towards more risk-taking behavior, just whether that can be in sexual situations or in like physical harm situations, teenagers feel invincible. It's all part of those hormone spikes that brain underdeveloped. What I want to talk about, because we can't really stop all of that, help it go as smoothly as possible. Uh, one of the big things that we're going to come back to is going to be that stress, anxiety, depression I want to get into and how to minimize that. I also want to talk about how we're going to minimize things like acne, enhancing growth at this time, because they are going through some big changes that if you can deal with it appropriately as it comes, you can have a very healthy young adult that's going to be a lot calmer, well-behaved. It really all ties into these hormones, but what we can do on a day-to-day I'll talk about a few supplements and stuff, but really it's going to be lifestyle things, what they're eating, what they're doing. A big thing that I want to talk about first is this gut-brain connections. The biggest thing I do on a day-to-day is deal with nutritional health through diet and stuff. The gut is a fascinating area of science right now. Research, there's so much coming out about the gut and its health in relation to mental health, its health in relation to hormonal health. I always start with the gut. When we think about food, it's something that we just, we deal with it so much that we forget how important it is. It's kind of easy to think of food as, the term gets thrown around often where food is your medicine. I've heard it a bunch. What doesn't get put in as much emphasis as food can also be your poison. And it doesn't have to be food that is 
necessarily bad for you. Those are the obvious ones. If you're having fried food all the time, you've never cooked something from scratch. It's all coming from always like preservative full pre-made things. Those are more of the obvious ones that you know you can switch to other things for. But what's a big one is some people don't agree with certain vegetables and there's no way to tell unless you've experimented. I am not a big proponent of saying that this one way of eating is the best for everybody. I really dislike when anything comes out and says, this diet is the best, everyone should do it. I don't care whether that's vegetarian, ketogenic, you name it. If, if they're making a claim where this works for everybody, they're wrong. It's a bad place to start. I do think that everyone has a diet that will work very well with them. But the only way to know that is to try those different ways of eating. What I mean about that, it doesn't have to be foods that are obviously bad for you to cause a disruption in the gut. It can be, I always pick on broccoli. I've never seen broccoli actually really bother anybody to like an inflammatory extent, but it could be broccoli. Broccoli is a superfood. It has so many benefits with it. But if your body personally hates broccoli, you're not doing yourself any good by forcing it into your diet all the time. And that gut-brain connection is so important. So we have found so many links with poor gut health where there's a lot of inflammation, a bad gut microbiome, which is the probiotics. They're not so probiotic in this case if they're bad, but they're negative bacteria that are living in your intestines, causing more inflammation, not helping with digestion. That inflammation doesn't stay there. When that inflammation is present because your body is having to act on food you're having all the time. It expands out, it gets to the brain, and we're noticing this big link now with anxiety, depression. The other big thing that I try to explain to patients that come in with whatever complaints and I say, yes, we're gonna fix it this way, but we also have to address diet, is that if your body is having to mount an immune response to food that you're having multiple times per day, it can't possibly fix whatever else is going on. The body is amazing at healing itself, but if it's being bombarded by something that you're pretty much unaware of, then it doesn't have the resources to pull and make sure that it's fixing up those other areas. Hormones are off. Yes, we can do so many things with stress. The diet is bad. I always explain it as if you were trying to get some work done. So you're working from home, you're typing away on your laptop, my job is to sit beside you and poke you in the ribs the entire time you're working, but you still need to reach your deadline. You're going to have a hard time finishing that, that work, and you're going to have a hard time stopping me because you're trying to halfway do both. And that's kind of what the body's doing if constantly being met by inflammation, starting from the gut, trying to fix other things that are going on. Coming back to hormones, the diet, teenagers, so important, and they'll eat the worst foods ever. Doesn't seem to affect them because they're burning calories like crazy. Their bodies may not show it in terms of like physically looking at them, but internally stuff is going wrong and we need to try and fix that. The diet's so important. I can't stress it enough. There are a few ways to go about it, some more expensive and thorough than others, and others are just very good, but very difficult. So depending on how picky your teenagers are, I'll explain a few options just briefly, but there is something called a food sensitivity test, which looks at its blood work. You're getting your blood drawn and it's testing a whole bunch of different foods against your specific blood. It's not blood type, it's your actual blood, checking to see what is causing an inflammatory response or not. So it just gives you a number based on how inflammatory that food is to the immune system that is being pulled from your blood. 
is just like a simplified way to break it down. It is not an allergy test. It gets commonly mixed up with that. It is not fine. If you had a peanut allergy, it may not test positive on a food sensitivity test because it's testing a different part of the immune system, but it does not mean you've been cured of your allergy. You can still have an anaphylactic reaction to peanuts. This is just testing that low level constant inflammation that'll do the poking in the ribs that I was talking about earlier. So that is the most thorough way. It's an expensive test, but it finds out exactly what, what works for you and what doesn't. The other way is to go about a more broad approach based on what's commonly affecting people. The biggest ones are going to be dairy and gluten. They just cause so much inflammation. Dairy, just because we continue to butcher it, the cows are not being kept in very healthy environments. They're sick. We're getting sick milk. If you're going to go to like a grass-fed milk, it looks different. It tastes different. It's a much healthier thing. If the cows are happy and healthy, so will the milk be. That's going to be a different thing. If you've ever had cheese in Europe and dairy products in Europe, it's not so bad. It's here that we've really messed it up. And the other one is gluten. And I always flinch myself when I talk about gluten because the problem with gluten and why it's causing so much inflammation is a few things. And I love to educate people on this because it blew me away when I learned about it. Same with dairy. If you go to Europe, Italy, they love their wheat, their pasta. If you have pasta in Italy, it won't bother you. The flour in Europe and countries that really pride themselves on flour products, France and their breads, wherever else you can think of, they don't mess with the wheat. Here in North America, US, Canada, we've really messed with how we make things because of industrialization. So we've tried, there's a few levels to this. I want to really dive into why gluten is a problem for most people. What's happened is wanted to make things faster and in bigger quantities. So it's become an issue of trying to keep up with that. If you've ever made bread by hand before, or if you've ever tried to make a gluten-free product before, it falls apart, doesn't work. That's because gluten is so important to holding that structure together. Without gluten, you need other things to try to bind that. The same thing happened with regular wheat when we tried to add machines to creating it. Instead of mixing it by hand, we threw it into these big metal propellers that would stir it for us. But because of that force, the, the rapid, aggressive nature of that, the plants that we were using, the original wheat plants, didn't have enough gluten to really sustain that. So what would happen is that aggressive mixing would cause it to crumble. The bread wouldn't hold together. It was too strong for it. So we needed to breed plants with more gluten. So that's step one. We needed more gluten in plants than we were used to. And I, I keep saying plants, I mean wheat, wheat plants. The other aspect would be for bread specifically. So now we've grown this higher protein content wheat. We want breads to turn out quickly. I like making bread at home. It's a whole two-day process. Like you mix it on one day, you let it ferment. It's like a 20-hour fermentation where the yeast really makes that bread much more digestible. It's breaking down a lot of the sugars, a lot of the proteins, and making it easier to handle created this commercial yeast that takes that 20 hour process and turns it into like a 30 minute, maybe a one hour process. So now we have higher gluten plants with lower digestibility. And that's what our bodies are really not built to tolerate. It's that amount. It's a hard to break down structure. That's what makes it so beautiful in making bread is that it can hold that network and hold the structure together of different baked goods but we've made it too strong. And now our bodies have a hard time breaking that down. And anything our digestive system can't handle, our immune system needs to go and break up. And that's where that inflammation comes from. So that's where gluten has become such a big thing. At the very least with teens, 
if you're noticing any difficulty, acne, anything like that, dairy and gluten are the biggest ones to start with. You want to make the biggest impact with smallest interference. It is pretty broad, gluten and dairy are in a lot of things, but those would be the two things I'd say start with. If you want to get more specific, there's more foods you can take out, but really start there. And if you need more from there, that's fine. But those ones are crucial. And then it's that gut brain. So healing that gut, making sure everything's healthy in the digestive tract so the rest of the body can be taken care of. It seems simple, but it is so impactful. And it's because we are food. We only got to where we were because we ate. If you didn't eat anything, you wouldn't grow. We literally take better we have of that product, the better we are. It's putting diesel gasoline in a sports car, it's not going to run well. That's what we've just done and adapted to, but not very well. That is a huge piece to this. If you forget, there's nothing else to take away from this. Take away watching what you're eating, getting that all settled. I do want to dive into the anxiety depression because of COVID that's been on a rise. I've seen it in my clinic where everybody is dressed from student to adults working. The big thing that I like to, the recurring theme seems to be people are working from home, but it's not really working from home. It's living at work because you're always at work because work is home now. There's no separation. And it's hard to create that boundary from your kids are being homeschooled right now. They're all at home. If schools get shut down, I hope they don't. The kids are home. You're trying to work. Everyone's stressed. It's not a fun. You can't go out. There's nowhere to go. You're supposed to stay in. That gets complicated. Anxiety, depression are at an all-time high. People don't have any escapes. Just stress, stress, stress. It's very situational for these things. But if there's no stop to where we can go do things, then that situational thing turns into a long-term thing. And we don't want that. I do want to talk about some warning signs, like things to look out for, and then what we can do just to help out. Things to look out for. Some of these are pretty typical in teenagers. What I'm saying, like the first one is oversleeping. What I mean by that is a change. So if they've always slept till 12 and they're perfectly cheerful, that's not enough to say like that's a sign for anxiety or depression. It has to be they weren't sleeping that much before and now all of a sudden there's no reason to get up bed. So they stay in bed all day. That's one of the signs. Big one would be a lack of interest in things that used to bring them pleasure, hobbies, anything like that. Again, tricky because they're trying transitioning where they went from having fun with a lot of more childlike things, dropping those, moving on to new things. If they're not finding new things to move on to, that could be more the issue than dropping old things that are more childish in nature. But if they don't continue to find things that they like, that's more the issue than leaving old things behind. Being constantly tired during the day, the day that's a big one, especially if it's linked with that first oversleeping. So if they're sleeping in, you feel like they're sleeping all day, but they're tired all the time. That can be another sign. Difficulty concentrating or making decisions. That's more of an anxiety trait, but anxiety and depression often get linked. They can go hand in hand quite regularly. It's that focus, but decision-making is the big one. Someone who is very anxious can't make up their mind. It's always, oh, I'm not sure. And that's part of that anxiety where... I want to do this, but what if, but what if, and always questioning because it's anxious to commit to something. Constant back and forth can be a big one, a big sign as well. Another big one would be any aches, pains, or even digestive issues without a clear cause. They're starting to work out. One of your kids, 15, they could be starting to get into sports, into exercise. They're sore because of that. That's normal. If they haven't done any of that and they're complaining about being sore, that can be a problem. And the digestion one can be linked to what we talked about earlier with that cascade. They're anxious, depressed, there's cortisol spiking all the time, their digestion's being compromised. It's going to cause more bloating, more feeling full too quickly. It can be linked to that hormonal change. 
Another big one, which can be tricky, anger or irritability, which can be pretty common. The big factor here is for no clear reason. Something's been bothering them because they're anxious, because there's depression, they can lash out where it doesn't seem appropriate. That is one of the signs to look for as well in earlier sign two, if they're holding it in, not being able to talk about it. Those are the big ones there. I do want to talk about ways to help, but I cannot stress enough the importance of this isn't a one person fix. It's any mental health, anything that someone's going through should be a team approach. Not even mental health. Like I talked about earlier, I don't like alternative. I like complementary. Everything should be tackled from different sides. It doesn't It's not always that drugs are the answer, but they can be for some people. It's not always that just physio alone is the answer, but it can be. Seeking that additional help is going to be extremely important. Naturopaths can help. Your family doctor can help. Counseling can help. Just speaking to people in that mental health world, that should be a cornerstone for a lot of this as well. And then when you want to look into optimizing things, you can search out nutritionists to get meal plans for you. It should always be a multi-tiered approach. And that doesn't exclude parents and friends. They need support from those that are close to them, not just strangers that happen to be professionals, but family. Family, friends, it's a big piece on this and trying to be understanding and help them through it, even if they resist at first. It's got to be more than one person trying to deal with it. And it's not enough. You have to be involved as well. They need to see that support from everybody. The other things we can do to help naturopaths, whether that's self, somebody else is seeing yourselves, nutrition is going to be huge. So cleaning up the diet would always be the first step. If they're snacking on a lot of junk food, I like to have mom and dad, mom and or dad in the appointment with this stuff, because it's not enough to just say, all right, Johnny, you need to eat like this. It's going to make you feel better. And then mom and dad are eating all the things that Johnny can't. You have to do it together It'll make everybody feel better. It's not a bad way to go. But the biggest failure for this is not setting up for success. Whenever I work with people, I never tell them after one appointment that you're going home and you're going to eat like this tomorrow. It's always, you've got a week, eat all the stuff that you're going to miss, get rid of the temptation and set your house up for success. Make sure that there's snacks you can have if you like snacking. Make sure there's meals that you can prepare that that follow these new guidelines have your whole area set up properly so that there isn't an easy, but I just want a cookie and there's the cookie. It's right there. Get rid of them, eat them, have a party, non-COVID time party, do whatever you need to, to get rid of what's going to hold you back. And then don't buy it. Stay out of those aisles in the grocery store, find some new things. We tend to, as people eat the same, like 10 things. If I told you to name your diet, you'd probably repeat 10 different foods to me and different orders, different combinations. We don't vary our diets too much. Anytime you're changing a diet, the most difficult part is finding five new things. But once you get into that groove, it's a new thing. And if that's your new pattern, it's a lot easier. But that transition is the hardest part. And having the temptation around is setting you up for failure. Getting the place ready is huge. That gut-brain connection, I cannot stress enough. So nutrition should be the cornerstone of all of this. If you're noticing anxiety, depression, you're having trouble with the teenager going through any hormonal changes... When you feel good from digestive purposes, your whole body, everything gets better. Your mood, think about every time you eat, 
This is one thing that I, I deal with on the daily where I clean up people's diets, get them eating the right stuff. After about two weeks of a change, they come back to me saying like, I didn't realize that you're not supposed to feel like garbage every time you're finished eating. I just thought that's what your stomach did. It just felt bloated because you ate, there's food in there. I didn't realize you could just eat and then feel great. It's funny because I was in that boat. This isn't just me saying like, oh, I knew this all along. No, I wasn't always a naturopath. I was a teenager as well. And I ate whatever I could put in front of my face and just dealt with being lethargic and everything after. That was normal, but it doesn't have to be. If that's a constant bombardment on the system, that inflammation, again, it gets everywhere. It goes to the brain. It affects the hormones and it weighs you down. So nutrition, 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 super important. The next biggest pillar, and this one is so important, not just because of COVID, but because it gets cold all the damn time, but exercise is so important. Things sound basic, but we don't do them. We, we ignore them. We put them on the back burner. There's something that gets pushed aside. When I say exercise, I hate that people automatically think, oh, I don't want to join a gym. That's too expensive. I don't want you to join a gym. Don't do it. I need you to move. How you do it if you're somebody who likes dance, dance. Don't sign up for a dance class. Put on a YouTube video, have fun. I don't like exercise to be this burdenous thing where it has to sound like you're dreading it. It should be something that, hey, yes, it's, I get the next 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be your whole day to just dance and be silly, whatever you need to do. If you like running, great, run. Not Running's not for everybody. Myself and Jill like running, but we hurt ourselves every year, but we love doing it anyway. It doesn't have to be like that. You can do anything you like to get you moving. Don't have to invest in weights or anything like that, especially when you're talking about teenagers here. Body weight stuff is fantastic. Push-ups, squats, jumping jacks. There's a whole bunch of free resources on YouTube. You can Google 20-minute full body workouts. You have the best workout of your life, 20 minutes at a time. We waste way more than 20 minutes every day. No matter how busy we think we are, I guarantee at least 20 minutes can be spent doing much better things. So exercise is super important. If you like lifting weights, do that too. That's fine. Whatever keeps you motivated. And also, especially with kids, sports are a huge thing. Get your kids involved in some kind of sport. It doesn't have to be a team sport. It can be a solo sport. It can be a anything, anything you can think of that keeps them moving, even if it's not an organized sport, because those can get expensive, just where they're forced to go play with their friends and do something. We live in a hockey country, getting them into skating. Winter sports is a good idea too. So there's a transition. One of the biggest things is not being afraid to change it up. People will do a gym thing, get bored of a gym and then just stop, find something new that you like and switch over to the next thing. It's so important to just keep moving. The next one that I want to talk about, but it's also learning. Learning in school can be tedious, boring. You're forced into a certain curriculum. Not everyone likes presented with them. If you're here, you're liking learning. It's a fun thing to do when it's an interesting topic. With kids, it's so important for them to have hobbies and new interests. Their brains are developing. Not only is it going to keep them happier, but it's going to make them better people if they're learning while their brains are still plastic and moldable. Personally, like as an example, I love learning to do new things with my body. I used to ski and it came easy to me because I played hockey growing up. So skating and skiing, similar mechanics, it came pretty easy. Learning to get better at snowboarding was one of the most exciting things to do is to learn to do something new with your body because it means there's so much room for improvement. Because I know that with practice, your body is an incredible thing. It can adapt. And it's even with tedious tasks. If you're doing some kind of craft, the first 20 things you put together. It's so slow and you fumble and then all of a sudden your fingers just start finding things better and it gets, I love that watching how your body can adapt. I'm very conscious of it because I love it. You might notice that the next time you have put together 
Ikea furniture. With kids, get them into something new. It doesn't have to be expensive. It can be basketball at some courts that are near them. If they've never shot hoops before, they get better at that. Great. They can obsess over it for a little, then switch it up to soccer, to something else, whatever it is. Learning, there's good research on learning too. And it's actually one of the best things you can do as an adult, elder, whatever it is, to actually keep your brain strong. I don't even just mean from like a mental health perspective, physical brain health as well. One of the best things you can do to prevent any kind of cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, dementia, anything like that is to challenge your brain. So like those Sudoku puzzles that they always talk about, that stuff is actually very good for your brain because using it as a muscle, you're not letting it go stagnant and it protects you from all kinds of scary diseases that like you don't want to forget your friends, your kids. Those are not fun things to witness. You don't want to have to go through that. Learning things is so fantastic for you. Like if you can link that with exercise, they're learning new exercises, new ways to move their body. You're hitting two things in one go. The last one that's nice and free is sleep. Sleep is so important, especially for teenagers, adolescents that are growing is the point in the day where your body can reset. So many hormones can go out of whack if we're not sleeping enough. I always try to stress the importance of sleep by taking an evolutionary perspective to it where we've evolved quite a bit. We've learned we're flying things. We're talking right now over a computer screen. All kinds of crazy advances. We used to have an appendix and now it's a useless organ that we can just get taken out if it gets inflamed. There's things that have changed. We may have walked on all fours at some point. Now we walk upright. It's messed up our birth canal, your birth canals. It's made birth a little more tricky just because of that posture change. But these are things that have happened. The only thing that's been consistent is the need for sleep. It is such a vulnerable part of our day where before we had houses security, we were sleeping on cave floors, rainforest, where you go completely unconscious and there's predators all around you. We never evolved past needing sleep. Nothing doesn't sleep. Everything sleeps. It's so important that if we don't have it, you can die. You can die from a lack of sleep. One of the worst forms of torture anyone can do to you is try to keep you awake. I've even seen just clinically some crazy things happen from people being on too little sleep for years. One patient that stands out to me, somebody who was getting about three to four hours a night for like 15 to 20 years, she was starting to have episodes of complete amnesia, but not even just forgetting what time period she was in. She was at work and she would go from working away to thinking she lived at an old house that her kids were five years younger. And it was just flashes of it. And she didn't remember any of it. I dove into it with her, like why this was happening. We found out that she wasn't sleeping. She started sleeping. All of it went away. Like the brain does weird things when it's not rested. And hormones are one of the big things that get reset, especially with stress, throwing everything off. When, when people are coming to me for weight loss, one of the biggest things that I stress the importance of is sleep because it resets those hormones and it allows your body to want to lose weight. If you're not sleeping well, you can do everything else right and your body just holds on to those, the imbalance of the hormones, cortisol, testosterone, the estrogens, and it just holds on to weight. So you can try whatever you like, but you don't sleep, you're not going to be successful. Sleep, 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 super important. You have to watch for oversleeping, but in teenagers, you can be generous. The general recommendation of six to eight hours is not great for anybody. For teenagers, they could even go a little more. I would stress the importance of eight to 10 hours and that's solid sleep. You don't always know what they're doing when they go to their bedrooms. They have phones, they're connected all the time. This has to be proper sleep. So trying to set up some kind of routine 
not as a punishment, stress the importance of it. I know this one's a tricky one. Really getting good sleep, teenagers, adults, anybody is so important. And I wouldn't settle for anything less than eight hours. So that six to eight isn't good enough. I'd go eight or more in terms of optimal resetting hormones, helping everything out that way. A few supplements that I want to talk about. There are some good supplements that can help with teenagers with all of this. The big one right now, vitamin D. Can't do any talk without mentioning vitamin D. And it is a hormone in itself. It's one that is related to bone health, the immune health, immune system, also mood. We tend to get our lowest mood when vitamin D that occurs naturally is at its lowest point and that's the winter but because we live in canada doesn't matter north america anywhere where we are we're not getting strong enough sun even in the summer and not even just heat wise heat has nothing to do with it it's the angle of where we are in relation to the equator so the equator would get enough vitamin d because that sun is shining straight down we're getting all these curved bent rays we don't convert enough vitamin d in the day we burn first but then the sun's just not strong enough to get us to good enough levels without supplementation important for everybody from time they're born to the time you die to be on vitamin D, what time of year it is. If you're consistent, you don't have to do more in the winter and less in the summer. It's a very good recommendation. The official recommendation is like a thousand a day. I've never seen that be enough for anybody that I've tested. I would suggest if you're doing it regularly to be at two or 3000 and that's still on the conservative end. Even better would be to get your levels tested to get a baseline and then you can get dosed appropriately. Naturopaths are the best people to speak about this stuff because we know a lot more about supplements. Medical doctors can be great. They can be knowledgeable. They tend to be very conservative on the vitamin D, and I just don't think it's because they work too much with it. They just know it should be higher. I haven't seen many recommend more than 1,000 a day, and I've never seen 1,000 a day raise vitamin D levels. It's just basically if you are at a low number, it keeps you there. It doesn't let you drop lower but it's not gonna bring it up. It is very safe, but you can have too much of it. The safety public service announcement. I wouldn't, without supervision, go higher than 10,000 a day or more. If you're taking it daily, can get to a dangerous levels, but it does still take like a few years to do that. But I would still say it's better to be consistent on the lower dosing range, but take it every day than to go nuts once in a while and get super high things going. So vitamin D, super important for mood, can help quite a bit with that. The other big one, just because we don't get a lot of it in our regular diets here and because we get poor quality of it, is uh, fish oil. So we don't have oceans near us in Ontario. If you live on the coast, that's fantastic. Eat all the fish you like. But here we don't get great stuff. It's never that fresh. And the freshwater stuff isn't as good as the ocean. It just tends to be a little bit more polluted, but still good for you. Don't take away fish when fish get demonized because we always look at like Mediterranean cultures and be like, they eat so much fish. And then we talk about it here and we're like, don't eat fish. It's bad for you because it has all this heavy metal. Like where's the disconnect there? Smaller fish are fine. Eat fish. You don't have to be afraid of them. Fish oil is a great substitute. It's actually cleaner than any fish you could eat because of what we do to it. We take out any heavy metals and you're just getting proper good stuff from the fish oil. I am super picky on fish oils because they're all fairly expensive, but they do not do the same things if you're getting the wrong ratios. The big thing with fish oil is to look at the EPA and DHA. It'll always be listed. You never want to see too little of these things. So you can get one, you might think it's a great steal. And then you look at it and it's like one gram of fish oil per capsule or gel cap. But when you look at the EPA DHA, there's like 10 milligrams of each of them. That's doing nothing for you. That's just calories, not helping you. Any of the benefits with fish oil come in the ratios of EPA to DHA. 
You always want twice as much EPA. That's the stuff that's going to be anti-inflammatory, good for the brain health, and all the benefits you've heard of with fish oil come from that EPA, but it has to be twice as much as the DHA because the DHA blocks some of the EPA because it's a bigger molecule and it'll stop it from being effective. And then you want to make sure you're taking at least a gram of EPA a day. So you should be doing one gram of EPA, 500 milligrams of DHA at the bare minimum. When we talk about cardiovascular health, just general heart stuff, if you want to get into mental health, there's very different ratios. Those get a little tricky and more specific. So I'm hesitant to just say generalities there because it really comes down to the individual. The worse the mental health condition, the higher EPA you want and the less DHA. That makes sense. Oversimplification. So you can get into ratios just as an example of like 10 times as much EPA as DHA. That wouldn't be good for just anybody to take on a regular, but might be better for someone with anxiety, depression. Don't take those as official prescription things. It's just an example. You definitely should seek out additional help with the specifics. But the fish oil in those high ratios has been proven to be quite effective for different mental health things from anxiety to depression to even OCD. Very good for stuff like that. Lastly, there's probiotics. So coming right back around to that gut connection, if you want a healthy gut, you need to have good bacteria in there. They make up a lot of what our digestion does. So our body breaks down stuff. Anything that our body doesn't break down, the bacteria take for us. And we actually extract a lot of nutrients from what they're breaking down. If our gut bacteria is unfavorable, it's full of less than optimal stuff, we function less than optimally. If we can fix that with probiotics, we get a better digestive system going. There's less inflammation. We feel better. Probiotics have been proven to actually help with mood when they're used properly. Picky on probiotics like I am with vitamin D, fish oil, all these things. Supplements that I I recommend as a general thing that most people take, I'm very picky on. I don't like regular brands. I like to go for the best of the best here because you want to put good stuff in your body because you want to feel better. If you're okay with taking a capsule, your probiotics should be a capsule and enteric coated. What enteric coated means is it can make it through your stomach without opening up. It has a little like waxy coating on you don't really feel it it's just there where the stomach acid starts to break it down but the capsule doesn't actually open up till it's in your intestine that's important because there's no good bacteria that lives in your stomach and if that capsule opens in your stomach the acid kills it all so you're taking this expensive probiotic that's making it to your stomach and then most of it's dead you can take it as a powder so for kids younger kids if you have an adolescent that just doesn't like taking capsules powders work. You just need to go pretty high on the dose of that and then always have them with food because the food will buffer some of that acid out and make more of the probiotic go through. But the best way to take it is always in a capsule that is enteric coated. And I like being in the tens of billions of, if you've looked at a probiotic, 10 billion plus CFU is just how they calculate how much culture there is in there. Heavy on the probiotics, that can help. Parts where probiotics don't work and that gets into the nitty gritty of seeking additional help. Probiotics are effective. What can happen is if the gut is already populated with a whole bunch of bad bacteria, there's nowhere for the new stuff that you're putting in to live. All the walls are taken up, your intestines are crowded. So you're taking this probiotic and it's basically flushing through because it needs to attach to the intestinal walls and then thrive there. And if this whole scenario is just a mess, you're taking this probiotic, maybe some attached, but it gets overcrowded by the bad stuff. Probiotics can work very well, but oftentimes they need like a one-two punch. That takes more of a selective approach in terms of, I don't want anyone just doing anything like that on their own. I'd always suggest like seeing somebody that can help you with something like that. Probiotics are great to take for everybody. That's everything. If you guys have questions, I'm happy to answer away anything I spoke about, whatever you like. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Rob. I've heard you talk quite a few times over the years now. And I must say, I actually learned quite a bit from this chat. So thank you. I did find it very educational. Uh, Lisa, I'll leave it up to you. If you have any individual questions. Yeah, I have a few questions. So the probiotics, I was kind of confused by what you were saying. So you're saying that a capsule is best and it should be... Yeah, it's it's called an enteric coating. Enteric? Yep. It just means like enteric is just like Latin stomach, I think. It just means it's coated to make it through the stomach. I can tell you specific brands so you don't have to do any research there because I really will only stick with these brands because I know they have enteric coated capsules. Where would it say that on the bottle? If it doesn't, it's probably not. Otherwise, you need to know what to look for in the ingredients of the capsule. And it'll say it somewhere in the ingredients that it's coded. But the ones that are proud of it, put it on the capsule because they know Mm -hmm. that they're doing something better. Do you have a specific probiotic in front of you that you're looking at? Yeah, I've been taking this one. NACA? Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. It's got a very good price point. I don't think it's enteric coated, but I think they have such a high probiotic count in them. 30 billion per, I believe. Is this input during production? Yeah, it's going to have two different ones. It's going to have like a, so, a minimum guarantee and then uh, what's So the minimum was, is 16 billion. Input during production is 45 billion. Yeah, so they're filling each capsule up with 45 billion. And what they're saying is by the time you get it, there's going to be at least 16 billion 16. still alive. Yeah. But because so they it's going to grab onto your intestines, you were saying. Not that, that's just the capsule. They're, they're actually being very honest about how many might die just in, in transportation because it's a living thing and not all of them survive. That's an inevitable oh. truth. You, you can prolong it by keeping that in the fridge. It'll help with any probiotic, whether it says it should be in the fridge or not. Yeah, but I purposely that, buy the ones that don't have to be refrigerated because I don't tend to take it if it's in the fridge. Yeah, so it's, it's something that I got to have on like with my, you know, my routine. Um, yep. When I have it in the fridge, I just don't seem to take it. I do the same. and I uh, So I get it. It's always better. It doesn't matter if it says refrigerate or not. It's better to have them in the fridge. But what's better is remembering to take them every day. Because if you go through them fast enough, then you're going to have a lot of them alive anyway. A so, probiotic, the same dose that an adult would take. I'm taking one of these a day. Yep. That I w- could give my daughter, 11, 12 years old, the same dose. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't okay. be... I wouldn't even flinch at something like that. That's, yeah, perfectly safe. Um, yeah, absolutely. Is she okay with capsules? Are those pretty big capsules? Yeah, she's, she's okay with them. Yeah, yeah, and that's perfect. The brands that I know are enteric coated, they're okay. professional, so you won't be able to, you have to look at Nature's Emporium or stuff like that, Ambrosia, not like shoppers. NFH, three letters, they're always behind the counter, so you won't really see them in the aisles. That's just part of their or sales agreement. NFH, Designs for Health, and Cytomatrix. Those are three that I know are enteric coded. What was the last one? Cytomatrix. I usually get my probiotics from like a health food store. Perfect, yeah, so they should yeah. have these other ones, but I do like those NACA ones. Those ones are, okay. are very good. Yeah, I've liked them too. Yeah, perfect. Then I had a question about vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Can you get vitamin D from food or no? You can, but I've never, clinically seen it get high enough from anybody even trying their best to have more of it from food the highest sources are going to be things like eggs have a little fish are good mushrooms have quite a bit has some as well so better to just take the supplement yeah and it doesn't have to be an expensive supplement i usually give people 30 mil 
little dropper bottles. I've done the math in the past that one drop a day, that one $20 bottle that's 30 mils big will last a year and a half. It's so not the, a big investment. So the cheap ones at Shopper's Drug Mart are fine? Yeah, if they're the yeah. drops. I don't like the pill okay. form. For okay. Yeah, but those ones are good. As long as it's in oil and it's a drop, you're good to go. Okay. My daughter's been suffering with um, some depression. So I have, I'm on a wait list for counseling for her. But the one thing that I thought I would try would be fish oils because I know that it's a brain food, right? So I wanted to introduce that to her. But can I just grab that vitamin so we can see if it's the right choice that I'm giving her? You mean like you want a recommendation for the right fish oil? Yeah, like I have one right now. I just want to see if the fish oil is kind of confusing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, you, you... In the past, I've liked to use the, the fish oil, the liquid that you put in the fridge. Yep. Again, whenever I have something in the fridge, I don't think to take it. <laughs> so this is the one. It's called Honeybee. And I just got this from like Rexall or something. Can you tell me what it says for EPA and DHA on the back? It says EPA and DHA is 100 milligrams. But it doesn't break it down? No. no. So that one's not going to be very effective for her. Because the DHA, EPA has to be two times higher than the DHA. Exactly. And then you need at least 1000 milligrams of just EPA on its own, bare minimum. And so that one's only 100 milligrams of both in one capsule. She'd have to take a lot of those and it still wouldn't be at the right ratio. Do you have any brands that you like? That NFH makes a really good one as well. So if you find that probiotic, they'll, they'll probably have the fish oil. If you okay. shop at Costco, Kirkland actually has a decent one. Mm -hmm. Stick to the health food stores there. Actually, any three of those companies I gave you for probiotics, the same okay. ones have very good fish oils. Okay. Very high quality, yeah. Just make sure that whatever, I don't remember the exact dose per pill, like off the top of my head, but make sure that whatever you give her is hitting at least the one gram mark of EPA. So it might be two or three of them, depending on which company you go with. This fish oil one, confusing. It is. You don't really get this type of information just from the health food store people or even the internet. This is me looking into the research. I'm very passionate about this stuff and, and making sure that it's not good enough to say it helps with this, it doesn't help with that. It's what's the dose for that naturopathic, like I'm a doctor. I'm trained yeah. to look at this where it's, I'm using it as a medicine, not just as some over-the-counter thing because people have said it works for something. It's yeah. getting down to the nitty gritty of finding what's the medical use of it at what strength. So it is confusing. Absolutely. It's not your job to know it all. That's what I'm here for. I, did, I got um, the food sensitivity test. I did that on my son. I took him to a natural path. Uh, we mm -hmm. probably did it for about six months. But wow. he had that test done. It showed like the foods that he was sensitive to and some like very strange things like peas or <laughs> certain foods yeah. that you wouldn't think somebody would be sensitive to, but he was. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I had like four people today that I was going over their tests with and all of them were confused about peas initially. And a lot of people get it. But then when they came back to me after a few weeks of, and this was like their, their recheck-in, and they were like, I can't believe how many things have pea protein in it. And mm. that's where this oh. comes from. It's it's not that it's just like green peas. It's that these things oh. that we're seeing so much of that we don't realize we're having like multiple times per day that our body's building up this intolerance to. You've probably gone through it. You've looked at some labels. Like it's not just green peas, but it's pea protein that gets put into like every product imaginable. And that's where those weird ones come in. I guess it's a filler, is it? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it binds things. They throw it into yeah. anything. It's cheap. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily bad for you. It's just there's too much of it and too, too many things that we're not realizing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I had him on a special diet for about six months and I just couldn't keep up with it when it came to the finance. 
Um, yeah. The amount of money I was spending on like rice bread. So I, and then part of the problem was, is that because I could only afford to do him, the rest of the family, we weren't, we were having pizza, let's say. I would make him pizza on his rice bread and then we would have pizza on wheat bread. It was, now I'm creating two meals. It just became so difficult. And I wasn't seeing a lot of benefits in his behavior and his health for me to continue doing it. Yeah, that's there. Congratulations for making it six months. That's impressive. I've never put someone on it for that long. It can get better the longer you do it, but that's not easy and it can be expensive. My approach is more on a simpler, like short term, but really I attack the gut hard. Like when I talk about probiotics and stuff, I don't just do probiotics on their own. Like if there's anything that could be off, I want to kill it. That's how I start it with almost like an antibiotic combo to make sure that the gut's getting a complete reset. I personally very much dislike gluten-free or whatever replacement options because they suck and they're expensive. I always stress just like stick to the proteins you're having, stick to a bunch of vegetables and then like simple grains, like just regular rice or quinoa. Quinoa can get a little bit more pricey, but it doesn't have to be complicated, but that's because I keep it shorter. Because I know like the rice flour pizza doughs. And, yeah, yeah, and I'm having like, to drive to a separate bakery that, you know, makes this rice bread and it yeah. was crazy. I don't like that for long-term stuff. You might need to like six months, you might've needed to find a few things like that to keep them interested. Nothing works with everybody. That's why there's so many different options, but also that it's a team approach. They work for a few people that might not work for everybody. If everything was so bang on right every time, then my job would be a lot easier. It's same with drugs, like drug therapy, antibiotics. Yeah. They don't always work with every single person. We know some stuff about medicine and health. We're not that smart. We don't know everything. There's curveballs that come at us. And someone made a joke once. I forgot where I heard it, but they always call it practicing medicine. It's a fairly good summary of what's happening on the (laughs) daily. You don't want to make anything worse. It isn't always guaranteed. And where's your office located? I'm in Kleinberg right now. I was just yeah, like north Wood- of Woodbridge, like Woodbridge, yeah. yes, Woodbridge side of Vaughn. Closer to Bolton, if you've heard of Bolton. Yes, yeah. I have. I do also offer just because of COVID and everyone staying home right now. I'm doing a lot of virtual visits and stuff too, so you don't even have to leave your home. It does get tricky if I do need to do like physical examinations or any blood work that might need to come out. That's tricky because I don't have virtual options for things we can talk over. Like, nutrition and stuff and all that. Best way to reach me would be email or Instagram. So my email is msknaturopathic. Some people write natural, it's not natural. Natural, so N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H-I-C. Naturopath at gmail.com. And then my Instagram is Dr. Rob Raponi, ND with periods in between. But I think if you just type in Rob Raponi, I'll probably come up. Good. Thank you for all that info. You're right. It was a lot of information. <laughs> I like, I like this stuff. All right. Thank you uh, so I much, think... Rob. And Lisa, I hope you like this session and I hope yeah, you are planning good. on jo- joining us again tomorrow. We're going to have another great session. Thank you again, Rob. And I want to say thank you again. I really appreciate your time and your knowledge. And I really do think it's a very important topic. So thank you again. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Make sure to check out inventivekids.com slash events, as well as other parenting workshops, courses, and events. Thank you.